Welcome to Commercial Excellence by Indigo, the podcast where we unravel the intricacies of commercial excellence. I'm Mark, your host, and with me today is the brilliant Julie, an expert in international relations. Julie, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Mark. I'm excited to delve into the historical negotiation at the Yalta Conference and its relevance for the corporate world. Absolutely, Julie. The Yalta Conference in February 1945 remains a fascinating negotiation, both strategically and tactically. Today, we'll dissect what Stalin did right, where the Allies fell short, and draw valuable lessons for corporate negotiations. The Yalta Conference, often dubbed a pivotal moment in history, shaped the post-World War II global order and set the stage for the Cold War. Picture this mark, three leaders, like gods on Mount Olympus, making decisions that echoed through the lives of millions. They met on the Black Sea coast of Crimea, in former imperial palaces still bearing scars from war and German occupation. Stalin undoubtedly, emerged as the primary beneficiary. His negotiation tactics were masterful, positioning the Soviet Union as the biggest winner and solidifying its global standing. Interestingly, Yalta became a catch-all word for the perceived betrayal of Eastern Europe, with accusations against Churchill and Roosevelt. Now, let's break down the agenda, objectives, and outcomes of the conference. Each day was packed with specific discussions, starting with the opening day on February 4th, where the leaders established the conference's structure and discussed general objectives. Absolutely, Julie. February 5th focused on the future of Poland and the fate of Eastern European countries, particularly those occupied by the Soviet Union. The subsequent days, from February 6th to 10, delved into broader frameworks for Eastern Europe, discussions about post-war Germany's occupation and administration, and crucial conversations about the formation and structure of the United Nations. Of course, there was the consideration of the Soviet Union's potential involvement in the war against Japan. And let's not forget the climax on February 11th, where the conference concluded with the drafting and signing of the Yalta Agreement, encapsulating the decisions made during these intense meetings. The context leading up to the Yalta Conference adds another layer to the narrative. Franklin D. Roosevelt, amid a challenging electoral campaign and significant concerns, secured an unprecedented fourth term as President of the United States. His health declined after contracting an infection during his trip to Tehran in December 1943. Winston Churchill, gifted with quick intelligence and eloquence, succeeded in negotiations despite being 70 years old and having survived a pneumonia that nearly cost him his life. Interestingly, despite his aversion to communist ideology, Churchill welcomed Russia as a great ally during the war. And then there's Joseph V. Stalin, serving as premier from 1941 until his death in 1953. Known for his totalitarian rule, collectivization policies, and a central role in World War II, he was defined as extraordinarily suspicious of everyone around him. His negotiation prowess, however, left a lasting impact for decades. Now, diving into the outcomes of Stalin's strategy, what stands out is his meticulous approach to ensure the Soviet Union's global recognition and emergence as a superpower. He skillfully secured Soviet dominance in Eastern Europe, creating a buffer zone of Soviet-friendly governments with minimal concessions. Stalin's ability to secure economic aid for post-war reconstruction and commitment for German reparations played a pivotal role in the Soviet Union's recovery efforts. The conference also acknowledged the Soviet Union's territorial expansions, 
including parts of Poland, a significant gain for Stalin. Not to forget, the establishment of a veto system in the Security Council with a seat reserved for the Soviet Union. Now Mark, as we transition to Roosevelt and Churchill's gains, what strikes you as most significant? Perhaps the most crucial gain for the U.S. was Stalin's agreement to enter the war against Japan. Roosevelt needed Soviet help and was prepared to pay for it by conceding to Stalin's demands, be it independent membership of the UN for the Soviet republics of Ukraine and Belarusia, a veto system in the Security Council, or territorial concessions like the Kuril and Southern Sakhalin Islands. Roosevelt was keen on establishing the United Nations to prevent future global conflicts, and at Yalta, he secured a commitment to this cause. Stalin, however, underestimated the importance of the UN and let the Americans decide its basic structure. Roosevelt also pushed for free elections in Eastern Europe, aligning with his broader goal to spread democracy and self-determination. And let's not forget the US success in ensuring Germany's disarmament and demilitarization post-war, reducing the likelihood of future aggression. France, too, had its interests secured, thanks to Churchill's determination. Stalin conceded, naming France the fourth liberating power in the post-war settlement, granting the French a key role in shaping post-war Europe, particularly Germany. Exactly Julie. France's involvement was a testament to Churchill's doggedness. Absolutely Mark. Now, as we connect the dots between historical negotiations and takeaways for the corporate world, there are several key lessons to glean. One striking aspect is the importance of understanding and adapting to the geopolitical landscape. Stalin's foresight in positioning the Soviet Union as a global superpower during post-war arrangements showcases the significance of strategic vision. True Mark. Additionally, the art of compromise is evident. Both sides, despite their ideological differences, found common ground to achieve their respective goals. The delicate balance between concessions and gains is a lesson any corporate negotiator should take to heart. And let's not forget the role of personal dynamics. Despite their differences, these leaders managed to negotiate effectively. Understanding the strengths and weaknesses of your counterparts is vital, even in the corporate boardroom. Absolutely Mark. It's also worth noting the importance of long-term planning. The decisions made at Yalta had far-reaching consequences shaping the global order for decades. In the corporate world, strategic decisions should consider not only short-term gains but also long-term implications. And the significance of alliances. Despite differing ideologies, Churchill, Roosevelt, and Stalin came together for a common cause during a tumultuous period. This collaboration echoes the importance of building strong partnerships in corporate negotiations. Precisely Mark. The Yalta Conference, with its complexities and outcomes, provides a rich tapestry of lessons. Whether it's navigating power dynamics, understanding the importance of compromise, or considering the long-term consequences of decisions, there's much to absorb. We've just explored the gains Roosevelt and Churchill secured at the Yalta Conference. Now, let's delve into how Stalin masterfully navigated the negotiations. That's right Mark. Stalin's approach was nothing short of a masterpiece. One of the key outcomes was the global recognition of Soviet power. Stalin strategically avoided having the post-war world dictated by traditional imperial powers like Britain, establishing the Soviet Union as a formidable player on the global stage. Absolutely Julie. And then there's Soviet dominance in Eastern Europe. 
Stalin convinced Roosevelt that these moves were necessary for a stable post-war order, ultimately securing control over Eastern European nations. And the creation of a buffer zone was another stroke of genius. The minimal concessions made by Stalin, coupled with the gains, resulted in a buffer zone of Soviet-friendly governments in Eastern Europe. It was a strategic move that ensured a level of control and influence. True Julie. Economic aid for post-war reconstruction and German reparations were also secured by Stalin. This played a crucial role in the Soviet Union's post-war rebuilding efforts. Recognition of territorial gains was significant as well. The conference acknowledged the Soviet Union's territorial expansions, including parts of Poland, solidifying Stalin's gains. And let's not forget the veto system in the Security Council with a seat reserved for the Soviet Union. This gave Stalin a powerful tool to shape post-war global politics. Now, turning to Roosevelt and Churchill's gains, the Soviet commitment to join the war against Japan was a crucial victory for the U.S. Roosevelt needed Soviet help and was willing to make concessions, such as the independent membership of Soviet republics in the UN, a veto system in the Security Council, and territorial adjustments. And the foundation for the United Nations was laid at Yalta. Roosevelt's vision of preventing future global conflicts found support, and Stalin, underestimating the importance of the UN, allowed the Americans to decide its basic structure. Absolutely Mark. Roosevelt also pushed for free elections in Eastern Europe, a declaration on liberated Europe that aimed to spread democracy and self-determination. Disarming and demilitarizing Germany was another victory for the US and its allies, reducing the likelihood of future aggression. And let's not forget France. Churchill's tenacity secured a good deal for France, despite de Gaulle being offended by not being invited to Yalta. France became the fourth liberating power, with a key role in shaping post-war Europe. But Julie, despite these seemingly significant gains, it became evident that the Soviet Union had the upper hand. A month after the conference, Roosevelt expressed disappointment to Stalin about the outcomes, especially the failure to hold free elections in Eastern Europe. That's right Mark. Stalin didn't uphold the commitment to free elections and disregarded the agreed-upon influence shares in Moscow. The Harvard historian Sergei Ploki, in his book Yalta, The Price of Peace, sheds light on the complexities and dispels some Yalta myths. Churchill, realizing the challenges he'd face in Parliament, proposed adding a sentence to the Poland Agreement, ensuring the exchange of ambassadors to report on the situation. Stalin agreed, highlighting the pragmatic approach taken. So, in hindsight, could Churchill and Roosevelt have done better? According to Ploki, yes, they could have. Churchill's concerns about Poland and the solution proposed show that there were opportunities for better outcomes. Now I want to discuss about Stalin's approach was indeed a masterclass in negotiation. Let's start with his strategic patience, intelligence, and attention to detail. Stalin's success was not just about seizing opportunities but meticulous planning and intelligence gathering. Hosting the conference in the Soviet Union allowed him to wiretap opponents' residences, even in public spaces like parks, providing unprecedented access to allies' discussions. Anthony Eden rightly observed that the British and Americans had no negotiating strategy sufficient to combat a bear who would certainly know his own mind. Absolutely Julie. Stalin's attention to detail transformed active listening into a potent tool. By mimicking the Allies' tone and deciphering their priorities, he crafted a negotiation strategy based on nuanced observations. 
his clear objectives for post-war Soviet security and influence served as a compass, directing his tactics throughout the conference. And let's not forget his real politic approach, focusing on power rather than ideological considerations, which proved effective in navigating complex negotiations. Moving on to building and demonstrating his dominating position, Stalin didn't just rely on words. Symbolic gestures, like the overnight appearance of a lemon tree after a casual mention, showcased Soviet capabilities. Banquets with opulent 15-course meals and an abundance of caviar subtly conveyed a message of authority and readiness to cater to any need. Stalin left no stone unturned in creating an environment that emphasized Soviet power and influence. And, of course, leveraging the Red Army's dominant position in Eastern Europe was a significant strategic move. This bolstered Stalin's negotiating power, highlighting the Soviet Union's pivotal role in shaping the geopolitical landscape. Now, let's talk about staging a role-play and manipulation. Stalin strategically engaged in role-playing, orchestrating scenarios to shape perceptions. By casting Molotov in a contentious role on day two, he presented himself as a more reassuring counterpart. Stalin's use of exaggerated gestures and raising his voice, unconventional for diplomacy, made it clear that certain topics were non-negotiable, like the future of Poland. However, this often involved misrepresentation and unfulfilled promises, revealing a pattern of manipulation to serve Soviet interests. Understanding personal objectives and leveraging differences played a crucial role. Stalin recognized Roosevelt's focus on creating the United Nations and securing Soviet participation in the war against Japan. He strategically leveraged Roosevelt's idealism, aligning his arguments with the vision for a peaceful world order. Churchill, on the other hand, was more concerned about the future of Eastern Europe and the expansion of Soviet influence. Stalin adeptly used these differences to advance his own agenda during negotiations. Tactical maneuvers were key as well. Stalin appealed to Roosevelt's idealism, presenting arguments that aligned with his vision for a peaceful world order. Despite appearing to have a weaker position, Stalin maneuvered to maximize Soviet gains. Proposing Churchill's appointment as president of the conference was a shrewd move, subtly fragmenting the unity between the Western allies. And let's not forget the tactical maneuver of neutralizing the alliance. By negotiating bilaterally with Roosevelt and Churchill separately, Stalin played on their differing goals, weakening the united front that the Western allies could have presented. The choice of Yalta as the conference location was not arbitrary, it demonstrated Stalin's power and intentionally shifted the axis of world power. Now, diminishing the opponent's strength, that's an interesting one. Stalin not only made everything hospitable but also ensured he had the upper hand on his home turf. Refilling his glass with water instead of vodka during toasts kept him relatively sober while others got tipsy. The intentional drunkenness during the conference even led to calls to cut off the State Department's budget for wine, citing it as a reason for the Yalta sellout. We've just taken a deep dive into the historical negotiation prowess of Joseph Stalin at the Yalta conference. Now, let's draw parallels and glean key takeaways for corporate negotiators. Absolutely Mark. Stalin's negotiation tactics are like a treasure trove for corporate practitioners. First and foremost, preparation is key. Stalin's extensive intelligence gathering and clear objectives were pivotal. Corporate negotiators should emulate this by gathering in-depth knowledge of parties involved and defining crystal-clear objectives. That's right Julie. 
and leveraging your position is crucial. Stalin skillfully used the Red Army's presence as a bargaining chip. In business, understanding and utilizing your company's strengths in negotiations can be a game-changer. He also projected power through symbolic gestures and expensive gifts, setting the right scene. In corporate negotiations, projecting your position's strengths, ensuring confidentiality, and maintaining integrity are paramount. Intelligence, psychological insight, and exploiting differences were Stalin's forte. Placing bugs everywhere, he played on the differing priorities of Roosevelt and Churchill to the Soviet Union's advantage. Corporate negotiators can benefit from recognizing and using varying interests and pressures on other parties. Stalin's symbolic gestures underscore the importance of psychological acumen in negotiations. Indeed, Julie. And managing commitments is another critical lesson. Stalin's promises were strategically crafted to obtain what he wanted, even if there was no certainty they would be respected. Corporate negotiators should ensure counterparts' commitments are clear and ask for guarantees to ensure they will be honored. Leveraging alliances and creating a win-win scenario is a page from Churchill and Roosevelt's coordination missteps. Corporate negotiations should aim for coordinated strategies, avoiding secret meetings and fostering long-term relationships by creating value for all parties. Now, for those who want to delve even deeper into the subject, we've got some suggestions for further reading. Books like The Road to Berlin, Stalin's War with Germany by John Erickson or Yalta 1945, Europe and America at the Crossroads by Fraser Harbutt can provide valuable insights. So, there you have it, lessons from history that can shape the future of corporate negotiations. Stay tuned for more insights and discussions on navigating the complex world of negotiations. This is Mark and Julie, signing off from the negotiation journey. Thank you Julie for discussing with me today. Before we wrap up, we want to hear from our audience. What are your experiences with negotiating? Share your thoughts and anecdotes in the comments below. We're looking forward to keeping this conversation alive. Have a great day everyone.